Hello, everybody, and thanks for joining us once again for another week of the Play Sheep podcast. As always, I'm here with my friend Joe. Howdy, Vet. And we're going to take you through all the games that featured in Game Week 12, except for, of course, the game that hasn't been played yet, which is the Cowboys and Ravens game. So, this week, we're going to be talking about the Belichick Masterclass, QB fumbles, the Steelers getting smelted, and how the playoff picture is getting that little bit clearer. So, Joe, to take us into our very first game, Saints 21, Falcons 16, what did you make of this? Uh, I'm just going to go back to something you just said there, Charles. Is the playoff race really that much clearer? Uh, I'll maybe say it's not. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's true. I I suppose what I meant by that is we're getting a little bit closer. We're starting to understand the teams that are in the running and those that aren't. But yeah, you're right. It's still pretty murky for some of those divisions. Yeah, we'll uh, go with playoffs getting closer. Anyway, Saints 21, Falcon 16. I criticised them a fair amount uh, last week, so then it's only right that Taysom Hill goes and plays his best game of the season. 232 yards, two touchdowns, a 107 passer rating, added to 14 carries on the ground for 83 yards. Big game from Taysom Hill, really played well. Saints keep marching now, nine straight wins. The one game short of sweeping the NFC South, they've only got the Panthers left to play for a 6-0 record there. What can you say, really? All round, good performance. If there's one small criticism from Hill still, it's that he fumbled the ball three times. But aside from that, yeah, Falcons never really got going. It was another one of those games where they just didn't really find that spark. But you can't really take it away from the Saints in pole position in the NFC. Yeah, I think in terms of the Falcons not performing, the only thing I would say is I think a lot of that is to do with the Saints' defence. I think Matt Ryan did okay in this game, but. I mean, I don't know if you knew this, but the Falcons had 42 possessions this season against the Saints where they didn't get into the end zone. And that only changed midway through the fourth quarter. Yeah, no, that's a great stat there. And I actually had a couple of my own, really. Until the Falcons did get in the end zone in the fourth quarter, it had been since week 10, the first quarter against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, That was the last time the Saints conceded a touchdown. So he had almost like 14 quarters of play, but the Saints didn't concede a single touchdown. And this is now a 55-game stretch now that they also haven't conceded more than 100 yards either receiving or rushing to a single player. Now, we play fantasy quite a lot, me and you, and for a player to get, you know, 100 rushing yards or 100 receiving yards, it's quite a common thing. And for the Saints to not give it up to either one of those positions for that long, very impressive. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a defence that we probably haven't put too much focus on throughout the season. I mean, typically we lean towards teams like the Colts or the Bucks. And the Saints seem to have been doing this sort of almost a little bit under the radar to a certain point of view. Uh, Yeah, I, I kind of agree with that and disagree with that, Charles. I think one of the reasons that we didn't pick up on the Saints yet is because they didn't really have that good a start from a defensive point of view. Up until week eight, when they smashed the Bucks 38 3. Until that point, they had been shipping a lot of points. Like, I mean, you know, in week one against the Bucks, they gave up 23 points. Week two against the Raiders, 34. They conceded 37 to the Packers, 29 to a bad Lions team, 27 to the Chargers. Those first seven games, they were averaging probably around about 30 points a game. So that was the turning point. And then since week eight, like I said, they've been really tight, not conceding more than 16 in one game. Yeah. Good time to find their defensive skill. 
Well, I think that it was almost like the last piece of the puzzle to make them a very well-rounded team, wasn't it? I mean, the offence has been clicking for a long time and you'd like to think that when Breeze comes back, that will continue to press forward. And now that they've got the defence clicking, they're a team that you'd expect to go very far in the playoffs. Yeah, we've been speaking about the teams in the um, NFC, their strengths and weaknesses, and all of them seem to have a weakness here or there. You know, Green Bay against a run, the Seahawks against a pass. Most teams seem to have a blaring weakness. I'd probably say in the NFC, the Saints are a team that doesn't have a blaring weakness or it's not as obvious as those other teams. Yeah. Right, let's move on to the next game then. Yeah, next game, uh, Lions 34, Bears 30. No need to really dwell on this game for too long because both of these teams are almost irrelevant now. But look, what can you say? Capitulation from the Bears. They were 30-20 up with just over 10 minutes left and managed to lose to the Lions by four. Yeah, well, we got the reverse Lions this week. Where Reverse Lions, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty much losing the whole game before coming back strong in the fourth quarter. I think up just three, all the Bears had to do was just hold on to the ball, run out the clock, and at the very worst, you know, you think their defence can stop Stafford on a final drive if they got turned over on downs. But what no one really expected was a Trubisky strip sack on third down in their own red zone yeah and you know what Charles I don't really want to blame Trubisky for this we often criticize him I mean look he put up 30 points against the Lions he almost did his bit it's one of his rare times really you've got to say hey the Bears defense should have stepped up and should have done more let's look at those last four plays of the game there were two free and outs the strip sack and then they passed twice after the two minute warning when they should have been trying to run the clock down Play calling didn't really make sense there, but I think it's unfair to just put this on Trubisky's shoulders, really. Yeah, I completely agree. I think play calling is a fundamental issue to why the Bears lost this game. I think the combination of that and the offence, and when I say the offence, I don't just mean Trubisky. I think when you look at that final chance that the Bears had right towards the very end, Robinson failed to secure the first down because he just wasn't paying attention with the run after the catch. Just wasn't paying attention, yeah. Absolutely agree with you. Silly things like that. Yeah, and it's just the kind of attitude of a losing team, really. They're five and seven now after being five and one to start with. The season's just absolutely fallen away from them. Basically, they're an irrelevance now. They're not going to go to playoffs. So, yeah, so let's not waste any more time talking about them, I guess. <laughs> cool. On to the next. Next one. Colts 26, Texans 20. Big win for the Colts with the Titans dropping the ball against the Browns. Yeah, so this Texans team starting to look better than they were at the beginning of the season, I think. Watson's doing everything he can to try and keep his team in it. They're still poor defensively, but I don't think they're as bad as they were at the beginning of the season where they were just shipping touchdowns, especially against the run. Absolutely, and the stats back that up. In this game against the Colts, the Texans gave up 3.8 yards per rush attempt. It's the third straight game now where they've held opponents to under four yards per rush attempt, which definitely suggests a big improvement in the uh, run game. We were criticising them a lot towards the start of the season, but they clearly tightened that up. Yeah. I think my main takeaway from this game is I appreciate that they were playing the Colts. And as we've discussed, the Colts have a very good defence. But David Johnson, I just cannot get away from how bad that trade was for Hopkins. I mean, Henry shredded the Colts last week, and I appreciate that it's Derek Henry, 
but the guy that you got in exchange for Hopkins can't muster more than 44 yards and a touchdown on 10 carries. That's not a great look, is it? No, it's really not. And it's starting to look like that 2017 season where he got, what, nearly like 2,000 yards from scrimmage was the outlier rather than rule. I know he's been injured since then. He broke his forearm in, I think, 2018. But he's just not been that same player. And he's not been that same player for a long time. It's hard to tell, really, whether D. Johnson is Duke Johnson or David Johnson because they're playing at about the same level. <laughs> yeah. And there was hardly a difference this week with David rather than Duke. So, yeah. It was probably clear from day one, but it's becoming even more clear about the Texans just lost basically every hurdle from that trade. And I think ultimately then what that game came down to was that dodgy snap at the one yard line. That's what ultimately closed it. But look, the Texans put up a good show for themselves. I think the Colts still look like a pretty decent team. The ball's in their court now with the AFC South. Just a couple of stats I want to leave you with, Charles, just before we move on from this. The Colts' D, they were shaky in the first half, but they conceded zero points in the second half of a game. In the last four games they've played, they've only conceded a total of 13 points in all of the second halves of those games, which shows that they're a team that can adjust and adjust on the fly. Yeah, that's a really good point, because teams that can adjust on the fly like that are the teams that you tend to see have a great amount of success, especially when you get into a playoff situation. Because when it comes down to those single games, those one-on-ones, the teams that can make those adjustments tend to have the upper hand or the edge when it comes to a knockout situation. NFL is all about adjustments and they're showing that they've got the play calling to make those adjustments and they've got the mature veteran players in that D who can realise what's going on and change the way they're playing to adapt. And that's going to make them a very, very strong prospect going through the playoffs. Yeah, right. Let's move on then to the Dolphins at the Bengals. Dolphins 19, Bengals 7. One thing that I will say from this game, and I'm not going to talk about the big fight just yet, but Tua really didn't look brilliant at the start of this matchup. And I think these are the kind of games, though, that you actually want your franchise quarterback to be playing in in his rookie season because there's a low risk of injury from this Bengals defence. There's no real risk of the team losing to the Bengals and them doing any damage offensively. So I think giving Tua that experience of how to correct a bad start is invaluable. And he did just that. You know, he came back in the second half, fixed a lot of his issues, looked a lot better and improved. And uh, I think that would have helped him. You know what? I agree with you. I hadn't really thought of it like that. I'd just really seen it as Tua playing bad in the first half and just getting things sorted out. But yeah. For a rookie player, that adjustment, again, the adjustment is definitely going to put him in good stead for the future. But let's part that to one side for a minute, because ultimately this game, there wasn't too much skill on show. It wasn't the most invigorating game. It's definitely not one I'm going to go back and watch again. The big kind of talking point of this game was the fight. What was your view on it? I mean, it just, to me, seemed so unnecessary. Like, it's the Bengals. Do you really need to get Aggie against the Bengals? Yeah, but you can't just stand there and let that happen. Like, I mean, that hit from Mike Thomas on Jakeem Grant was hideous. It it was outrageous. What would you rather them do? Just let that happen and just sit on the sidelines, you know, like the pathetic Cowboys did when Andy Dalton was knocked out from a bad hit? You've got to go and represent your boys. This wasn't even the first time that Mike Thomas had did this. He literally had done this the previous play. That was two dirty hits on Jakeem Grant, bang in a row. The Dolphins players had to go and do something. 
Well, it wasn't just the players. I mean, Flores was looked like he was ready to throw down as well. Yeah, it's probably not a great look for uh, Flores. And maybe a coach shouldn't be the one to go out there and get a bit fighty. But I totally get why the players did go out. And you just can't stand for stuff like that. He'd called a fair catch. And, I mean, he was taken up before the ball was in his hands, which is disgusting. Yeah. Okay, then. Let's move on to the Vikings or the Jaguars. Vikings 27, Jaguars 24. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about this for too long. You know, a win is a win. Uh, the Vikings seem to be taking a lot of flack right now because they're in the playoffs and people are saying, oh, well, they've only beat the Jags and they've only beat the Panthers. But look, you beat the teams that are in front of you. Let's not forget that Green Bay played the Jags two weeks ago and only beat them by, what, four points? Yeah. And that was when the Jags had uh, Luton as their quarterback. Glennon is arguably a better quarterback than Luton. And the Vikings walked away with an overtime win. No one's saying that the Vikings are going to win playoffs, but it's a little bit opportunistic, really to just attack the uh, Vikings for only beating the Jags, whereas we've seen some other good teams not beat them by a lot as well. Yeah, well, I think that is a point worth making because I think Glennon, certainly so far from everything we've seen, seems to be the best option out of the three quarterbacks that they've trotted out so far this season. So, yeah, as you mentioned, um, you know, we talked about how they're a team that seem to hang in there with teams and, uh, you know, with a slightly improved quarterback, they've took it to overtime. So. You're right. I don't think that is a big upset or something that should garner too much criticism. But look, Joe, I found the overtime game. It wasn't the one that either of us called, but we did get the differential bang on. We both called Vikings by three. Nailed it. Well, yeah, I called the Vikings by three. And then you said, yeah, I'll have some of that as well. So (laughs) I I would say you kind of copied me, but uh... well, you know. We're allowed to uh, have the same score, Joe. I I think there's been a fair few where you've copied me as well. Yeah, never when you've got it right, though. Well, you know, that's just knowing when to stick and when to twist, isn't it? (laughs) I'll give you that one, mate. I'll give you that one. (laughs) Just before we move on, I just want to talk about one small concern I do have with this Vikings team, and that's special teams. Now, Boyd, who the freak passed Cannon off when Glenn got the first touchdown, Boyd was also playing in special teams, and this was the third straight week that he's been penalised for a block in the back during a pump return. You shouldn't get penalised for that at all, really, but three weeks straight, it's just not good enough. You combine this with this snapping issues, which the Vikings have had. They had to cut long snapper Austin Cutting, as well as Bailey's performance, where he left, I think, seven points on the tee. Special teams in all different parts of the game, kicking, snapping returning, everything seems to be a problem for the Vikings right now. And they're not a playoff team. If they get into the playoffs at all, they're not going to go deep. But these special teams things are just going to cause more and more problems as the season goes on. And they definitely need to be strained out by next season. I think there's a few points in there that are worth bringing up and mentioning. One is Bailey's difficulty and struggles this game. You take out those missed kicks and they've beaten them by a score. It does, it's not yeah. even close to going yeah. to overtime. So, you know, there's one thing there. And likewise, that first touchdown from the Jags, I mean, that is potentially the flukiest touchdown I've ever seen. I just couldn't get my head around it, really. Had that not hit Boyd's arm, it would have been nowhere near a touchdown. Not even close. No, it just wouldn't have been in the same postcode. And it was just an absolute freak. And, you know, fair play to the receiver for managing to track the ball and catch it because it came out pretty fast. Yeah, it zipped, didn't it? It absolutely zipped. Yeah, it's like skipping stone. But these things happen, freak things happen. Every week there's something new. It is what it is. Vikings win, Jags lose. 
let's move on. Yeah. Next game, Raiders 31, Jets 28. So this was another subpar Raiders performance. Since they took the Kansas City Chiefs close a couple of weeks ago, they've just not really been there at all after getting spanked by the Falcons last week. They nearly got the ignominy of losing to the Jets this week. And aside from a crazy play at the end there, they probably should have lost this game. I think that if you look across the Raiders' offense there, the only player who really got anything going was Waller. Waller had a huge game, 200 yards, two touchdowns, 13 receptions on 17 targets. But until Ruggs made a big catch at the end, no other Raiders players came near in terms of receiving. Very, very strange game. Yeah, look, I mean, I'm going to be that guy, Joe. Final seconds of the game. Raiders need a Hail Mary to stand a chance of winning and stay in the playoff hunt. And you don't cover deep. Don't tell me that wasn't a deliberate move from the Jets. Look, I just cannot understand this. Now, I'm not going to say it was a deliberate move because I think that's stupid because you can try and tank all you want. But if you get fired and lose your job, then what is the point of that? Greg Williams doesn't have a job now. So if it was their intention to lose on purpose, well, you're an idiot. So I don't even think it was that. I think he was just trying to be smart. I think he was trying to show what a uh, thoughtful defensive coordinator is and who thinks outside the box. But it was one of the dumbest plays I've ever seen in my life, Charles. I'm just going to delve into this, right? They should have played prevent. Now, when I say prevent, do you know what I mean by that? I mean, I, I assume we're talking about loading the backfield with defensive elements. Yeah, so let me just kind of break this down a, a little bit. Now, the standard package that you have when you play a standard 3-4 or 4-3 defense is to have four defensive backs. So you have two cornerbacks and two safeties. Now, there's always some variation there. Sometimes you might have three cornerbacks and a safety. Sometimes you might bring in an extra linebacker or something like that. But that's basically the very basic, the most basic of basic. Now, when you bring in an extra defensive back, that's called a nickel package. It's called nickel because of a five-cent coin is a nickel. So five defensive backs, nickel. If you're going extremely defensive backy, then you and it's called a dime package. And a dime package is where you bring in a sixth defensive back. Now that can be four cornerbacks and two safeties. It can be three safeties and three cornerbacks. Whichever way though, it's six defensive backs. Now what prevent is is where you have seven defensive backs. So you'll have either three defensive linemen a linebacker and seven defensive backs, or four defensive linemen, no linebackers, and seven defensive backs. Seven defensive backs is what you generally have when the other team is throwing a Hail Mary. It means that you just go deep, you're not worried about giving up a first down or anything, but you're stopping that Hail Mary because there's just so many DBs back there. For every wide receiver, there's two DBs at least. What Greg Williams called was an eight-man rush. He rushed eight men and left three defensive backs. That was one defensive back for every wide receiver that the Raiders had out there. Now, they had Henry Ruggs, and if there's one thing that I seem to remember from draft day when they were talking about Henry Ruggs, it's that he was a speedster. Is that that guy could run, that he was a better version of John Ross. So you're one-on-one with Henry Ruggs. If he skins you, there's no one there to look after you. There's no safeties because you're one-on-one with him. You're man with him. There's no coverage whatsoever. It was the dumbest play I think I've ever seen, Charles, and I just do not understand it where you have to have an eight-man rush when you're just trying to stop a Hail Mary. Yeah, I mean, it was completely bonkers to the point where it seems so illogical. The only thing I can do is pin it on they were trying to lose, but we'll never know the answer to that one. It was like someone selected the wrong play on Madden, like their finger slipped, and they did like a goal line stop rather than a Hail Mary stop. Listen, it happens, Joe. 
it happens okay <laughs> <laughs> the only other thing that i really wanted to talk about in this game was something that we mentioned a few weeks ago now when we were talking about ty johnson and i was saying i couldn't understand why he wasn't getting the practice when there's nothing on the line and i think we got our answer this game because when they're forced to use him because frank goes out with an injury he helped out massively to nearly win the game for the Jets. <laughs> and I think he's being deliberately limited to stop scares like that happening. Yeah, well, we said kind of back then that Frank Gore just wasn't very efficient at all. It really did seem that the Jets did everything they could to lose that game. It's stupid as well because Trevor Lawrence doesn't have to go there. Remember, he might get drafted by them, but he doesn't have to go there. They're a terrible organisation, a terrible football team. There needs to be huge changes, changes wholesale there. Well, look, from one game that doesn't make any sense to the next, Browns 41, Titans 35. Well done on calling the upset here, Joe. Yeah, I thought there might be an upset here, but I'm not saying I necessarily really believed it. Look, you've got to give the Browns their due. They're now 9-3, and three, and you've also got to get, give Mayfield his due. 334 yards, four touchdowns, zero interceptions. A 147 pass rating, which was by far and away the highest rated quarterback of week 13. Really got to give it to him. Really good game. And the Browns, Browns look like they're going to make playoffs. And I'm going to be honest with you. I've been into American football for a long time now. I've never seen the Browns in playoffs. 2002, I think, was the last time that they made playoffs. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I don't think that American football was even on Sky TV back then. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> a couple of things to take away from this game, though. Browns did well. Absolutely not going to take that away from them. But a team that's 38-7 up at the halfway point shouldn't be facing a, a consequential onside kick to close the game out. The Titans won the second half 28-3. And if you're going to go deep in playoffs, you've got to be a four-quarter team rather than just a one-half team. Yeah, well, I think what we saw from the Browns certainly earlier on is something that we discussed last week, which is in Mayfield. He's one of those players that we mentioned, along with a few other names, that when given the time, he has that technical ability to stick it on a dime. And he did just that in this game because there was very little pressure from the Titans defence on Mayfield. And actually, the Titans even did a good job of limiting the Browns' run game from an efficiency point of view. And that's, I think, where we thought a lot of the damage was going to come from. Something else that we've also discussed this season is if you get a sizable early lead against this Titans team, Derek Henry doesn't see the volume that he needs to be able to drag the Titans over the line and help them win the game. And then you're relying on Tannehill, who's forced to chase the game, and that hasn't worked all season for the Titans. And that's what happened here again. And, you know, the Browns defense did a brilliant job of limiting him to only 60 yards and a fumble. And that's exactly what this game needed. They absolutely had him spooked. His kind of body language, the faces that he was pulling. Henry was spooked. The Browns really got up in his face. It's a fair play to him. It worked. Yeah, but you're right. They really needed to do a better job of closing out because... In a one-on-one situation game in the playoffs, it's that kind of lack of focus that can see a game switch around in a half. How far do you think this Browns team goes in the playoffs? Ah, it's, it's a weird one because you mentioned they're 9-3 now. And honestly, that surprised me. And you're absolutely right. They have only lost three games. But there's something about this team that when I watch them week in and week out, I either think, 
oh, you've you've just nicked that. I don't know how you've managed to pull that off. Or the flip side, like, how have you lost this game? This should have been one that you could have easily won. And they're a team that is full of mystery. They don't always play the same way, which, you know, could be a benefit in terms of the playoffs because they don't play a stereotypical way that you can go, right, if we just do this, that will counteract them. I think they're the type of team that I would expect to get out of the first round. Could they do the second as well? Maybe. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. And especially now that they are probably in the top half of seedings for the AFC, they could well have an easier game to get through that first round. The Chiefs and the Steelers are probably going to come 1-2 and with their 11-1 records right now. But, you know, it's feasible that the Browns come third if they keep on playing like they're playing. One last question on this. Stefanski for coach of the year? Could that happen? I don't know. I don't think so. And that's not a criticism of what he's done because I think he has come in and he he has done a great job with this team. But their wins that they've scraped through on quite a bit. And I know he's taken a team that, as we pointed out, hasn't been to the playoffs since 2002. It looks like they're very much going to the playoffs. But uh, is it still Andy Reid? Is it... I don't think it is Reid because, you know, everyone loves Reid. But I think Reid got it last year, didn't he? And I mean, like, you know, it's not like the Chiefs are doing anything new. I could make a case on Mike Tomlin. I think that Mike Tomlin has got to be in the conversation. He's just taken a team on 11 win streak to start the season. But I think Stefanski has got to be in the conversation. Yeah, possibly. Let's see. Anyway, let's move on. Next game. Rams 38, Cardinals 28. And what I'll say about this one is, forget the 49ers as tenants. McVeigh lives rent-free inside the Cardinals' heads. He's now 7-0 against this team. Just seems to not be able to stop winning against them. I mean, honestly, with Andrew Whitworth put out of action a few weeks ago, I thought Goff would struggle, but... The Rams blocking unit gave Jared Goff all the time in the world and completely blasted open huge running lanes. And the Rams just ran riot over the Cardinals, who, meanwhile, were playing this soft zone throughout the game. Why? You know how to beat the Rams. Bring the pass rush, show the blitz, so you pressure Goff and you stuff the running backs at the line. The moment you do that, the Rams have nothing offensively. But they almost did the opposite of it, and I just couldn't understand it. Yes, like there were times there where they were almost kind of daring Goff to pass it, but that works for Goff if you just give him time, like you say, to pass it. He's a very proficient mechanical passer. It's like you say, when you put that pressure and you get in his face, that's when he starts to throw up the interceptions for you. Yeah, absolutely. I will say Jalen Ramsey did a great job of limiting Hopkins, but then you know coming into this game that that's what the Rams are all about. And, you know, Jen and Ramsey didn't disappoint. No. I have a question for you, Joe. It's been a few weeks now since we've seen Murray scramble dominantly. Do you think he's suffering from what I'm going to call the Jackson effect and teams are starting to work him out? Or are we just putting this down to game script? No, um, I think it is probably more teams adjusting. Because... He seemed to be running a lot in those first few games, even when the game script didn't necessarily call for it. If they were losing, he'd still go on and, you know, break off a 40, 50-yard run for a touchdown. His running wasn't really a game script for him. I think just teams are planning against him now. You can imagine the kind of meeting rooms of these teams in the week leading up to the game. Watch Murray. Keep eyes on Murray. 
if they're doing an RPO, look out for Murray, stop Murray at the line. And this is, must be just what the linebackers and defensive lines are drilling into themselves leading up to his games. They've seen what he did in those opening few games, and they know that that's one of the hugest threats to their teams. So I think there's an adjustment there. I think that they're targeting his running a lot more. And I think you can see that in a few of the plays and the amount of players they're putting for. I think you're seeing a lot more kind of spies too. I think teams are playing with spies to try and stop him. What? Uh, we're just recording a documentary here. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, the spy is a linebacker who basically plays in the middle of a field. And it's his job to watch the quarterback. It's called the spy. Oh, I thought we were just talking about Belichick and a moustache. <laughs> no, no, uh, no, no, no. <laughs> so question for you. Do the Cardinals make playoffs? Do you know what? Two weeks ago, I think it was, I was saying that I thought Cardinals would win the division. And now I, th- I think it's on a knife edge, really, because it's going to come down to the Vikings and the Cardinals. Um, There's four games left for each team. All of their games are in the NFC. So it's purely winning from now on out. Cardinals have got the Giants, the Eagles, the 49ers and the Rams. The 49ers game should be away, but will actually be a home game for them now. And then the Vikings have got the Buccaneers, the Bears, the Saints and the Lions. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's a tougher run in for the Vikings there. There's probably only two games out of that that I'd expect the Vikings to win, whereas I think there's maybe three for the Cardinals. So I think it's going to be close. Who do you see the Cardinals beating of those four teams? Well, I think the one that they'll lose to again is the Rams. I think they've probably got enough to take on the 49ers as they stand. I'm not sure about that. I think this 49ers team, though they're not what they were, they're slowly getting back to it. So I wouldn't say that Cardinals 49ers is a gimme. I'd almost say that's a coin toss game. And then just a kind of side question, of all the teams in the NFC, aside from the Saints, which team has the uh, longest win streak right now? Oh, is it the Giants? It is the Giants. You take away the Saints and the Giants have the longest win streak of any team in the NFC. And the Cardinals have got to play them next week. Yes, this is true. I mean, I think the Giants are fortunate to be in the position they are. Well, I tell you what, they did a great job, even without Jones. We've got to remember, you know, he wasn't playing last game. Yeah, yeah. Shall we actually move on to the uh, Giants game? Yeah, good chance. That's a nice little segue. <laughs> Park the uh, Rams-Cardinals now. So, Giants 17, Seahawks 12. They are on a four-win win streak because they just beat the Seahawks. No one had this. I'm very much looking for your input on this, Joe, because I watched this game and there was only one thing that I pulled out as something that I noticed that could even go some way to explaining why this happened. And for the most part, I'm just completely baffled. For me, the Seahawks offensive line, it just couldn't have looked any worse in that game. It looked bad. Yeah. And aside from that, I just don't know where it all went wrong. It's really hard to pin things out. But like you say, the offensive line just seemed to be collapsing a lot. The pressure that the front four of the Giants were putting on Russ Wilson was immense. It's perhaps the most that he's been pressured all season. I mean, players like James Bradbury, Jabril Peppers had a big game. I mean, Jabril Peppers hit the quarterback once, had a sack, had a tackle for a loss, two passes deflected. I mean, these guys were really, really playing well and they really seemed up for it and they seemed more up for it than the Seahawks were. I don't like to talk about intangibles like this, like wanting it more and that kind of stuff, but when you see a result like this and it's hard to explain in other ways, 
the Giants just really seemed up for it. Yeah, but I, I, I mean, just 12 points for the Seahawks is, it feels like it's an incredibly low score. I mean, that's got to be like, what, second lowest score that they've put out this season, perhaps? Uh, yeah, and I look kind of through this, like, uh, when you look at how they were scoring at the start of this season, like the first half, they were putting up, you know, probably about an average of 35 points a game. So you are right, this is low for them. It's just one of those things. People thought that with Jones being out and McCoy in, but then again, this isn't McCoy's first rodeo. He's been around the league for a long time. To put it into context, this is his first win since October 27th, 2014. That's how long since he last had a win. So people hear the name McCoy, and especially some newer fans, but McCoy's been around for a bit, so it was maybe shouldn't be as much of a shock that they've done it with his quarterback because he knows what he's doing. Yeah, he does. But there you go. It was a uh, shock victory for the Giants. Let's not overanalyze it because it is what it is. It. Yeah, It is what it is. Let's move on then to Packers 30, Eagles 16. Yeah, so look, I kind of feel a little bit smug about this because I have been on Wentz's back for a long time now saying that I don't think he's a good quarterback. I think when you look at all the stats and you look at his gameplay, at the start of this season especially, there was this kind of narrative that he's a good player. And I'll say, no, no, he's not. Now it's almost trendy. You're getting all these articles out now saying that 2017 was an outlier season and he's always been bad. And every single news site really is jumping on the bandwagon. Wentz is not good. Wentz has been benched. Hurts is starting next week. Wentz had another terrible game. I think it's probably easier summed up in his expected completion rate. From the passes that he threw, statistically, you would have expected him to hit 55.2% of his passes. He ended up with a completion rate of 40%. That's 15.2% down on what he should have got with the passes that he was throwing. He was sacked, what, another four times? He held on to the ball for the fourth longest of all quarterbacks, which is why he's getting sacked four times. And he's lost his job now. Hurts is starting. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, I've only really got two real points to make about this game. One of them is the Aaron Jones 77-yard run, which if anyone hasn't seen it yet, definitely check that one out again because that was phenomenal. Probably one of the best runs of the season. Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. And then the other one was the benching of Wentz, which I thought I'd bring up because it was something that you were musing might happen a few weeks ago. So that's finally come to pass. I got a few Rogers facts for you, Joe, because I know you love information like that. Hit me with them. <laughs> Let's see if you can guess them because you guessed the other ones last week quite well. But quickest quarterback in NFL history to reach... Is it 50,000 yards? Uh, well, I mean, that is also correct. The answer I was looking for, not that you're wrong, but 400 of career course. touchdowns. Yeah, I remember him getting the game ball. Yeah. Yeah, I think the celebration, Devontae Adams crowned him or, or something yeah, like that. There was yeah, some sort yeah. of nighting going on. Very nice. Very nice. And then the other one is he's the first quarterback in NFL history to have five seasons with 35-plus passing touchdowns. And who else has got them? Brady was on four. I know that much. I would have thought that Peyton Manning would be up there. I think you're probably right. Maybe Brady and Peyton are tied on four, and Rodgers has just picked them for five. Just, I've just had a look, yeah. Peyton Manning does have four seasons with more than 35 passing touchdowns, but then he also had a couple where he had 33. So it sounds like a nice stat, but I mean... <laughs> Peyton Manning basically did the same. 
Well, basically isn't doing it, is it, Joe? <laughs> I mean, okay, it's not. we basically <laughs> won Super Bowl last year, so... <laughs> Fair enough. Let's move on. Next game, Patriots 45, Chargers 0. So this was an ugly loss for the Chargers. It's actually the worst loss the Chargers have had in their history. Yeah, well, I mean, here we go, Joe. I said that if Herbert has a chilly December, then Jefferson could sneak ahead in the offensive rookie of the year race. And yeah. I know it's only one game, but it was a bad one for Herbert. And we've already discussed how good Jefferson was against the Jags. Yeah, it was an ugly game for Herbert. 26 of 53. 53 attempts and he only threw for 209 yards. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions, pass rating of 43.7, which was the worst of a week. His expected completion rate, which I just criticised Wentz for, and Wentz being 15.2% down on what he should have done. Wentz was second worst because Herbert was the worst. He should have hit 66.4% of his passes. He hit 49.1%, that's 17.3% down. So a really ugly game for Herbert. But I mean, look, we forget he is a rookie. This is his first season. Up to this point, he's looked so assured. Rookies have bad games and he's just got to put this behind him and move on. Yeah, and look, you know, maybe this is my bias kicking in here, but we both mentioned this on the podcast last week. And from my point of view, it's what we said it would be. It was a Belichick masterclass. Herbert was flustered and inaccurate throughout the afternoon, but that was due to the massive amount of pressure that he saw. You said he failed to complete half his passes, but not only that, but the Pats also did a fantastic job of limiting Eckler as well. He got 36 yards for eight carries, so... Yeah, Eckler didn't look that good at all, yeah. So it meant there was no safety valve for Herbert there, and that was just another thing that just compounded this disaster day he was having, and Belichick just locked down everything so that Herbert looked like a rabbit in the headlights, even offensively. They've got a great running room there at the Patriots and they just turned to that and rammed it down the Chargers' throats because they knew there was nothing they could do to stop it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't disagree with any of that. Just before we move on, I just want to bring up one last thing. Ozevsky, I mentioned him last week. I mentioned his pump returning, how good I thought it was. This week, he gets a receiving touchdown and a pump return touchdown. Had 145 yards on three pump returns. Gunnar Ozevsky has kind of come out of nowhere, but he's looking like a legit threat for the Patriots, on, especially on special teams. Yeah, he really is. Really, really is. Yeah. So how are we feeling about this Pats team beyond this season? Because Brady left, they lost that wide receiver call. There was concern that the Pats wouldn't be anywhere close to where they were. And, you know, they're not. But I still feel that they're not as bad as a lot of people expected them to be with that loss. Do you think they can turn that around quite quickly or do you think there's still a bit of a longer process for them in terms of rebuilding? I think the Patriots and what the Patriots do in the offseason is going to be one of the most interesting off-seasons of any team in the Football League. There's the decision they have to make with Cam Newton. Cam Newton is currently on the veteran minimum this year, so they're getting him for peanuts. I say peanuts, like 800k, but for a quarterback in the National Football League, that's peanuts. So they're getting Cam Newton for peanuts. What are they going to do? Are they going to stick or twist? Because Cam Newton, you know, probably deservedly, he deserves to get paid. He's a very different quarterback to what the Patriots are used to, but there are certainly some teams in the league who would pay for his services and pay pretty well. So they've got to decide if they're keeping him. Then you've got all the veterans who are coming back who've been on COVID. So I think that Patriots got, what, five relatively big-name defensive players out who should all be coming back. 
Yeah, which is going to have a big impact. A big impact. So, uh, look, I, I still think it's too much of an ask for the Patriots to make playoffs this year just based on how strong the AFC is. It would take a lot of results going their way. I'm not saying that's impossible, but I'm saying that it's unlikely. What do they do next year? Look, this team's not finished yet. And as long as Belichick is calling the shots, there's still life left and the dynasty could well creak on. It'll be very interesting, though, to see what they do. Yeah, I just think the success that they've had over the last decade, if they can avoid a painful rebuild, they'll have just done a tremendous job. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Right, shall we move on to the next one? Let's do it. Broncos 16, Chiefs 22. It's quite a funny one, Joe, because I called out the Denver defense as being a factor that could limit Mahomes. And so I went Chiefs by 14. You actually went Chiefs by 10. It ended up being Chiefs by six in the end. But I don't think the Denver D is really the unit that deserves the credit necessarily. I mean, Hill dropped two passes, including a touchdown. He also had a school call back because of a holding penalty. Kelsey had an important drop on third down. Bell dropped a pass in the red zone. Watkins had a drop. I mean, it was just a complete comedy of errors. And despite racking up 400 plus yards on offense, the Chiefs scored only 22 points because they had to settle for five field goals. Yeah, how rare is it that we uh, kind of say that the Chiefs can't finish things in the red zone? (laughs) Yeah. It's just one of those things. You've got to give credit to the Broncos. You also probably do have to say that the Chiefs weren't playing as good as we normally see them play. It's one of those things. But at the end of the day, the Chiefs still playing extremely inefficiently and they walk away with the win. Now, with the Steelers game, they are equal on top of AFC based on record. And you would probably expect them to go through and probably get the first seed. Yeah, and call it funny or not, but the last time these two teams played against each other earlier on in the season... It was the Broncos that were making all the mistakes with interceptions and drops and fumbles. So you're right. It is just one of those things. It's that flip of the coin. It is interesting, though, just to finish up on how the Chiefs seem to be struggling a little bit with their divisional rivals. They've had two games against the Raiders. One they lost, one they won. But even one they won, it wasn't by a huge margin. So it seems that the Raiders have almost got that blueprint. If I remember correctly, they really struggled against Justin Herbert. And had Justin Herbert not made that rookie mistake in what I think was his first start, Justin Herbert could have beaten the Chiefs. And now this game against the Broncos, the Broncos again taking them to less than a score. It's just funny how these divisional rivals seem to be getting the number on the Chiefs a little bit. And that could just be one of the factors that stands in the way of them becoming this dynasty that everyone expects. Washington 23, Steelers 17... It's funny, Joe, because last week, Mike Tomlin had a go at his team following their flat performance against the Ravens, where they dropped six passes despite winning. This week, uh, they didn't win and they dropped seven passes. Yeah, we've spoke about the Steelers team. We have said that there's this propensity for them to not play for four quarters and they've often let bad teams back into the games or they've got off to slow starts. But they've always had like a half or a quarter that they've played so well that they've made up for it just seemed in this game there wasn't that half or quarter that saved them and they played they played pretty poorly through the whole game and it was fundamentally based around a very bad running game yeah and I think again play calling plays an element of this when you're at the goal line and you've failed because you've called three running plays in a row for Snell 
you've got to start questioning, are you playing the right plays here? He was getting nothing all game long. Do something different. It's not working. Snell was pretty terrible. Like watching that game, it was almost like he was running in treacle backwards. His stat line was eight carries for a total of five yards. I don't know where those five yards actually came from. (laughs) I didn't see him get past the game line. His long was four, so maybe I fell asleep for that one. But I mean, look, Benny Snell is terrible. The Pittsburgh Russian attack is terrible. We've mentioned a few times on the show this week, strengths and weaknesses of teams and blaring strengths and weaknesses. The blaring weakness of the Pittsburgh Steelers is that they don't have a run game. I mean, Roethlisberger had to throw the ball 53 times. Old man Roethlisberger with his crooked shoulder. They can't run the ball. And unless they run the ball, they won't get as far in the playoffs as they want to get. And don't be fooled in thinking that this is just a Snell issue because we were asking the same questions several weeks ago when we were saying, why is James Conner not getting the yardage that you'd expect? And at the time we were saying, well, look, they're having such success with the passing game. Why change anything? Well, actually, it could be a darker reality, which is they don't have a decent run game and they have to rely on the passing game. And that could become an issue come playoff time. Exactly. But the dark reality is champagne down in Miami. The 1972 Dolphins remain the only team to go through a season unbeaten. Get to pop that cork another year. (laughs) Right. The last game we're discussing this week, Buffalo 34, San Fran 24. What you got on this one, Charlie? I think on their day, the Bills are a team that can beat anyone. There's a number of teams in the league that you could say that of. I think from a 49ers perspective, Mullins was competent. But I think that this game proved that if you can take the run game away from the 49ers, they're going to struggle to compete. And that's what happened in this game. And boy, did they take the run game away. Only 86 yards on 21 carries. Like you say, Mullins wasn't terrible. I think there's a perception by a lot of people, especially just based on fantasy kind of stats, that Nick Mullins is no good. Nick Mullins is all right, and he's probably one of the better backups in all of the league. And he's potentially a starter elsewhere. Ended up with three touchdowns, two interceptions, a pass rating of 95.7, which isn't bad, you know, through 316 yards. Yeah. We say about this Bills team that when Josh Allen plays badly and can't hit the broadside of a barn, which we have seen a couple of times this season, they do badly, but, you know, we keep on expecting this bad game from him and it's not come for a while now. 375 yards, four touchdowns. You take away the great game that Mayfield had and Josh Allen was the best quarterback in the league. Really, really good game week for him. The Buffalo rushing attack didn't really do much. They only ended up with 81 yards, but Josh Allen was on the ball so much that they didn't really need it. He just dominated the game. Yeah, a bit like we've seen in previous weeks the Steelers do. Yes, yeah. I suppose the thing that I found a bit weird in this game was McKinnon. You know, he was someone that when he came to the 49ers, everyone thought, great addition, he's going to run riot there because they're a team that's set up to run and he's got all the skill sets to be able to do that. And of course, he had that really bad injury. But he's just never really featured in the team in any meaningful sense unless other players around him have been injured. McKinnon is an absolute beast. Now, the Vikings drafted him. I remember when he came into the league. I think that he had something like the most bench pressures of that a running back had ever done or, or, or something like that. Like his physical stats are off the chart. He can catch the ball physically and from a talent point of view. He's probably better than anyone else in the San Fran running back room. But I mean, he didn't even get a look in. So I don't know what is going on there. I don't know if there's been regression. I don't know if he's out of favour. 
But I agree with you. It's strange that he's not getting the chances that you would expect a guy like him to have. He, he got no touches this week. Not one single touch. Not a target, not a carry. It's an odd one. But um, look, let's keep an eye on the 49ers because they are technically not out of it yet. And They're not out of it. And I think they will keep pushing. It's unlikely, but they've got the same record as the Bears. I'm quite happy to say the Bears are out of it. I'm not quite happy to say the 49ers are out of it yet. <laughs> But I think the other thing that is going to be quite interesting in following them as a team is they actually are playing a lot of teams coming up that have playoff implications. So how they perform is going to impact others. Yeah, and they've got the Cardinals, like we mentioned. So, you know, they're still alive, technically, still alive. Right, shall we move on to the Predos? Yeah, let's move on through to the Predos. So after you kind of copy in my Vikings pick... You can go first on this one, Charles. Patriots, Rams. Who you got on this? Okay. Do you want me to lead on all of these so that no, I no, can't... no, no, no. We'll we'll take turns. We'll alternate. We'll keep it fair, will we? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Patriots, Rams. I've got this Rams by three. Okay, I've got Rams by ten. Cool. Okay, next one. Broncos, Panthers. I've got a Broncos in this one, Charles. Broncos by two. Oh man, I think it's going to be a tight one again. I think the Broncos have been defensively impressive now for a few weeks running against some very tough opposition. My question is whether their offense can do the job. So I'm going to back the Panthers, but by three. So we're just either side of that coin. Interesting. Okay, next one. Texans at Bears. Yeah, I mean, tough one this again. The Texans have been improving. The Bears have been slipping. I'm good about the Texans on this one. I think Texans by six. Yeah, I also think Texans, but I'm going to say Texans by 11. Okay, nice. Okay, Cowboys at Bengals. I know they're a car crash, but I'm going to say Cowboys. I I just got no faith in this Bengals team whatsoever. I'm going to say Cowboys by seven. I really don't know where to go with this. I tell you what, just to be contrarian, I'll go Bengals by one. Okay, Titans, Jags. Titans, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're both going Titans. Yeah, I'm going to go Titans by 14. I'm going to go Titans by 11. So next game then, we have the Chiefs-Dolphins. Yeah, I see this one as Chiefs, and I see them getting their mojo back a little bit. I know the Dolphins are a defensively good team, but it's the Chiefs, and we'll be wanting to play better after a couple of down weeks. Chiefs by 16. Okay, I've got Chiefs by 10. Next one, Cardinals at Giants. Is this your upset, Joe? (laughs) For me, it's not. I'm still bucking the Cardinals. I think they're due a bit of a bounce-back game, and I'm going to say Cardinals by 14. Yeah, I think the win streak comes to an end for the Giants this week. Cardinals have a lot on the line here. I don't know where it'll be by 14. Cardinals by eight. Oh, wow. Okay. Vikings at Buccaneers. Bucks by, I'm going to say, 17. Yeah, I know. I think the Bucks can have a very good run game, which the Vikings struggle to defend against. And I think the Vikings haven't played a defensive team as good as the Bucks for quite a while now. Okay, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I think the Buccaneers probably will win, but I'm going to say Buccaneers by 10. Okay, the next game is Colts and Raiders. And I'm going to go Colts on this one. After seeing Raiders play the last couple of weeks, I feel they've lost their mojo a little bit. I don't see it coming back against a team like this. 
I'm going to say Colts, and I'm going to say Colts by 12. Do you know what? I know it seems weird, but I think I'm going to go for the Raiders on this one. That does seem weird. Yeah. I think that with the injuries that the Colts have on the defensive side of things, they're not as potent as they have been known to be. I think the Raiders are going to be keen to prove something and it's going to have an impact on their playoff picture. So I'm going to say Raiders by seven. Fair play, mate. Okay, Jets, Seahawks. Are we still doing our thing where we just say 14 points to whichever team the Jets are playing? (laughs) I mean, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I actually had down Seahawks by 12, but I mean, it's it's as close to 14 as we're going to get, so... Well, I'll say 14 then, just be different to you, but you've got Seahawks by 12, fine. Perfect. Okay. Packers-Lions. I think maybe Packers by 14. Okay, yeah, and I'll go Packers by 17. Okay, cool. Okay, so the next game is Falcons-Chargers. I'm going Falcons in this one, and I'm going Falcons by 7. Why, Joe? Do you learn nothing? I just got a feeling for the Falcons this week. Hey, do you know what? Maybe this will be the week that they show up. But for me, I'm back in the Chargers and I think Chargers by 10. Okay, fair enough. Saints and Eagles is the next game. For me, I'm going to say Saints. It's just that Hill's under centre. You're always worried, you know, are they going to be able to Is Hill under centre though because Breeze could come back this week? I think it's still probably too early based on the 12 rib fractures that he had, but who knows? Yeah, but did you know that most of those fractures, they're saying now, he didn't get from that game that he exited. He had them from the week. He had them from the week before. Oh, I... It was just his lung that he punctured in that game. This is like the myth of Breeze. I love this because I feel like Breeze has always been considered as a bit soft as a quarterback. And I'm just hearing week after week more stories that make Bree seem like just a hard man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I'm going to go Saints and I'll say Saints by 12. Okay, I'll say Saints by 13. Cool. Washington football team against the 49ers. Washington at University of Phoenix Stadium. True. Yeah, true. I said before, I just think the 49ers are recovering a little bit, playing a little bit better. I've got the 49ers in this. Not by much. I'm going to say the 49ers by six. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. I've got 49ers by seven. So, you know, pretty close. Steelers at the Bills. Oh, I really don't know where to go with this. I, it's a really tough one, but I'm going to continue to bat the Steelers. I think that, look, if they didn't have the amount of drops that they had in the last game, it would have been a different game altogether. I'm going to say Steelers by five. I'm going to keep the faith of Josh Allen. I think that he's on a streak right now. And as long as he keeps that streak going, I think it's a good time to play the Steelers now. They've just been beaten. They've just tasted what loss tastes like. The Bills were imperious against the 49ers. I'm going to say the Bills by four. Okay. And then finally, we've got the Ravens at Browns, which is going to be a really important game. Yeah, it feels much more like a coin toss game than it might have done a few weeks ago. Yeah, perhaps. I'm going to stick with the Ravens. I think the Ravens are probably still going to have just enough. I'm going to say the Ravens by nine. Yeah, I think pretty much the same as you on that one. I've got the Ravens by 12. Okay, excellent. There we go then. So some good games upcoming, some ones that are very important for how the playoff picture materialises. 
Joe, as always, it's been an absolute pleasure and we'll chat next week. See you next week. Thank you.